0: Welcome to the VetoCast, a podcast of six episodes that explores the effects of the veto power of the United Nations Security Council. VetoCast is part of the Stop Illegitimate Vetos campaign that is committed to changing the way the Security Council veto is used. A sea of people covering the streets, thousands of people in motion, protesting, protesting against an intolerable situation, protesting against oppression, a chant is repeated over and over, our cause, our cause, a line of red in the centre of the march. The monks have taken to the streets with the people. Marching in their red robes with their beggar bowls turned upside down, a statement that they will not accept gifts from the government. Hope is in the air. A protest like this hasn't been seen for almost 20 years. Onlookers from the high-rises cheer them on as they pass. A woman starts to cry while clapping her hands. The march moves ever on. Will this finally be the change that so many have longed for? Is there perhaps another way? Miale Din is a Burmese woman who has lived in Sweden since 2006. The Vito cast interviewed Miale to understand her experiences with Burma leading up to the Saffron Revolution.
1: I got the contact with the people in Rangoon during the time that the monk protests had been going on and people come outside to the streets and get together on the streets and there had been crowds and there had been crowds uh, clapping for the monks and then I was at that time sitting in in the computer. We didn't have Facebook at that time or something like that. We had contact with each other, my friends in Rangoon and I via the Gmail. I remember that We were chatting in Gmail, chatting to ask each other, what is happening, what are you doing? And when I write, what are you doing? It was the September protest going on, and my friend answered that he's not going out, he's staying at home because it is not safe to go outside when there are crackdowns, when there are people uh, shouting and people, people who are beaten because they are together with the monks. So they are afraid to go out even. And some days later the curfew is in charge. Is announced that you people cannot go out. So there has been instability in in the city and my friends say I can hear people shouting, I can hear the crowds and I'm just home and I'm not going out. So I can still feel, even though I'm in Sweden, that I can feel the worries. I can feel that my friends are worrying and they feel instability during the protest.
0: The year is 2007, and it's the beginning of the Saffron Revolution. A new struggle for democracy in Burma has just begun. There had been a growing unease in Burma since the previous year. Economic growth was almost stagnant. The military junta that controlled the country focused their national investments on the military instead of infrastructure. The economic divide between the hard-pressed population and the military population was obvious. High-ranking army generals lived in luxury and abundance, while a third of the population's children were chronically malnourished. Burma is still ranked among the 20 poorest countries in the world. Government spending on education and healthcare is one of the lowest worldwide. At the end of 2006, prices of basic commodities such as eggs and rice increased by 30 to 40%, which made an intolerable situation even harder. A small protest took place in April of 2007 in Yangon, when about 10 people carrying placards and chanting slogans demanded lower prices and improved conditions for health and education. The protest ended peacefully, but plain-clothes police were later seen restraining eight of the protesters. The military junta has a history of cracking down hard on protests and outspoken critique. In 1988, at least 3,000 protesters were killed, and several thousand more were imprisoned and tortured. With that in the collective mind, the population was hesitant to voice their discontent. In August 2007, the government decided to remove subsidies on the sale price for fuel. This made the prices skyrocket in less than a week. Diesel and petrol increased by 60 to 100 percent, The cost of natural gas, which was used for buses, increased by as much as 500 per cent. This increase affected other areas, rising food prices as well. The situation couldn't hold any longer. Despite the threat of being beaten, imprisoned, tortured or even killed, people took to the streets in protest. The initial demonstrations of August 2007 were shut down harshly by the government, when the protests were small. It appeared that the protests would end here. But then the monks started marching alongside protesters. A surprising development, as monks do not usually take a political stance. They acted, they said, for the sake of the suffering population. The monks are highly revered in Burma, and are sometimes referred to as the conscience of the Burmese people. The atmosphere changed, and the crowds of protesters grew bigger. With the monks marching, and a growing population of protesters, the government was stuck with how to act. On the 24th of September, the protest in Yangon had grown to between 30,000 and 100,000 people. It was the biggest anti-government protest in 20 years. The government threatened harsh countermeasures. On the 26th of September, a dusk-to-dawn curfew was imposed as well as a ban on any gatherings of over five people. The military tried to confine the monks to their pagoda in Yangon by a barricade of trucks. It did not succeed. 5,000 monks made it to the streets to protest. The violence escalated when government troops started raiding the monasteries, arresting monks. The protests continued. The government's situation grew more desperate. Reports claimed that soldiers began to shoot at students marching near a high school in Yangon, hitting school in the process. On the 28th, the protests ongoing, the government troops began beating protesters and shooting at the crowds. The troops reportedly targeted journalists and people carrying cameras. A Japanese journalist, Kenji Nagai, was killed. A video recording shows him being shot at close range by a soldier while still clutching his camera. This slowed down protests, prompting people to flee the country. The protests grew smaller and eventually abated. The number of people arrested and killed during the Saffron Revolution is still unknown. The government has held back information. We can assume that there are probably a lot of violent incidents that haven't been reported. The information on incidents that have are likewise hard to compile. The official state media in Burma reported the number of detained people at 2,100. International media sources, however, estimate 6,000. The official death toll from the Burmese government is 13 killed. The UN Human Council believe it to be 31. Other reports are even higher. The democratic voice of Burma uses a list of names of those killed. 138 people. A UK newspaper reported on the 1st of October that thousands of student protesters and hundreds of monks had been killed and their bodies discarded in the jungle. These reports were based on information given by a defected army colonel. So there are many different stories and statistics on the actual events. During 2006, the US tried to spotlight the situation in Burma. With the UK, they drafted a resolution in January of 2007. The resolution called for the government of Burma to offer unhindered access to humanitarian organisations. It called for the government to cooperate with the international labour organisations, to engage in political dialogue with all political parties, and to release all political prisoners detained in the country, including Aung San Suu Kyi. The resolution secured the nine votes necessary. However, two of the three votes against were from the delegates of China and Russia. This activated the veto. The resolution never passed. This was the first time since 1989 that a double veto had been cast in the Security Council. Members of the council had the opportunity to speak before and after the vote. There was also a representative from Burma present for the duration of the discussion. The Chinese and Russian delegates argued for their use of the veto based on two issues. One, that Burma did not pose a threat to peace and security in the region. And two, that the international affairs of the state had no place in the Security Council. Instead, the matter should have been handled by other, more appropriate UN bodies, such as the Human Rights Council. The second argument is highly interesting in this case, since it touches upon the principle of sovereignty, the principle of sovereignty is one of the most fundamental concepts for a state. It includes the right to govern without outside interference. Hans Karel, Swedish lawyer and diplomat, former Undersecretary-General for Legal Affairs and the Legal Council of the United Nations.
2: Well, I mean, sovereignty is definitely a concept in the UN Charter. Uh, the um, uh, Charter says that... Um, The organization is based on the principle of the sovereign equality of all its members. That's from Article 2, the first paragraph. And so it must be. But the question is, what does sovereignty mean? And there's a very important provision in the seventh paragraph of Article 2, which says that the principle, sovereignty, or not sort of meddling into the affairs, internal affairs of another state, that does not apply, it does not prejudice the application of enforcement measures under Chapter 7 of the UN Charter. And this is where the Security Council makes decision. So this is a very, very important principle. There is another principle that was adopted by the General Assembly in 1993 when we come to human rights. There the General Assembly said that to criticise another state for not respecting human rights is not considered uh, to, uh, shall we say, uh, meddle with the internal affairs of another state. You are entitled to make that criticism. But um, otherwise, the sovereignty has to be there, but it has to be, shall we say, um, uh, applied under the law. And the law is very clear here when we come to the rule of law and uh, human rights, that no state has the right to abuse its own population or abuse the population of another country. The sovereignty in the sense that was used in the Peace of Westphalia back in 1648 is a different concept from a modern sovereignty um, uh, concept. In those days, the sovereignty was for the sovereign, for the head of state. But today, sovereignty should be exercised in the interests of the people of a state. When when the Council deals with other states than their own states, then I think that they should be very, very, very careful. And I could think of very few situations where a veto would actually be legitimate. I think that what the Council should do is to apply the five criteria that Gareth Evans and his committee presented back in in 2004. Uh, And uh, among those uh, criteria I mean, it should be legitimate and it should be, uh, it should be uh, the last uh, step, etc., etc. Uh, but the fifth element is the most important in this reasoning, namely that if they do intervene using force, they don't create a situation that is worse than if they had not intervened. And I think if the Council analyzed this situation openly and actually explained to people around the world why they intervened or why in another case they did not intervene, then people would understand.
0: The political situation in Burma is different today from eight years ago. The military junta has released some of its power. Elections were held in 2010 and 2012, in which the former general and acting prime minister, Theon Sein, was elected president. Sein has vowed to move Burma towards a more democratic society. Numerous political prisoners have been released after pressure from the international community, among them Aung San Suu Kyi. She was elected into parliament in 2012. Still, doubts and questions remain. Burma faces ongoing tensions between ethnic groups. And, though on the surface changes appear to have occurred, many of the old power elite remain in control. Miele again. I think the change which
1: is taking place in Burma. It only reflects a few people, which is the upper social class, and the poor people are still being poor and getting even worse. You can just uh, take example of the student crackdown. So it is the same uh, situation. It is the same incident. Uh, What I see is the same incident, the same solution the same uh, method that they are facing when any kind of protest is coming up. The method is only violence or force. What I see from my point of view that I'm living outside the country and what I can see from the outside world is it is the same situation, the same thing happening as in 2007. It is very hard to say that you will move forward because uh, after 2007, it had been uh, some hope, it had been many hopes from the people in Burma that, yeah, this is changed. this is change. And 2007 passed, 2010, the so-called democratic election take took place after the election people were hoping for change and right now the same thing happened so I think they say they are going forward but actually we are going backward so it is very hard to say that we are going forward if we are not going uh, forward then the crackdown won't be happening the students won't be beaten or, or arrested this is why i'm saying we are going backward because uh, there has been good news coming from Burma that democracy is taking place and we are going to a free country but when this march uh, students protests show is that we are not going to the democracy as we had been saying for two or three years. That's why I'm saying (laughs) we're going backward. I mean, uh, if the government say that this is the true democracy, then it won't be any news that this crackdown is taking place. If the government actually say that this is the true democracy, then there should be peaceful, discussions there should be a peaceful solution than uh, this incident. So yeah, I can say this is the wrong picture in the book of democracy in. Law.
0: You have listened to the Veto cast, a podcast of six episodes that explores the effects of the veto power of the United Nations Security Council. VetoCast is part of the Stop Illegitimate Vetoes campaign, which is committed to changing the way the Security Council's veto is used. VetoCast is a co-production by the Stop Illegitimate Vetoes organisation and Uppsala Student Radio 98.9. Project manager for VetoCast was Joanna Hellstrom. Production and audio editing by Simon Sander. Scripts by Alexander Friedman. Interviews by Joanna Hellstrom and Philip Alborn. This production was narrated by Leila Mendy. Our thanks to Daniel Schellen and Hannah Wernershun and the rest of the team behind the Stop Illegitimate Vetoes campaign.
1: It is our world and the global challenges are everyone's concern. For peace and prosperity, we need an efficient UN.
2: For more information, visit our webpage at www.stopillegitimatevetoes.org and our Facebook page.
1: Let's Stop Illegitimate Vetoes.